The sun has left and forgotten me. It's dark. I Your stories don't define you. How you tell them will. Hi, I'm Sarah Elkins, your host and chief storymaker at Elkins Consulting. Whether you're telling stories in person, online, on any platform, whether they're for work or for personal conversation, your stories matter. The stories you tell say a lot about who you are. And the stories you tell about other people say even more about who you are. Today's guest is my friend Mandy Hoskinson, and I'm so excited for our listeners today because you are in for a treat. She calls herself Media Mandy, and you will find out in the first 15 minutes of our conversation. Mandy, thank you so much for joining me on Your Stories Don't Define You, How You Tell Them Will. Thank you. Always excited to chat and always excited to learn more from hosts as well. Well, and isn't that fascinating? I learned so much from my clients and from being a guest on other people's podcasts. So I I really appreciate that you just said that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it happens every single time. Definitely. So, um, you know, I give you a heads up in advance. The first question I love to ask my guests, I love for our guests to share something about themselves that most people might not know. Yeah. I, I tell my story a lot. So, uh, but either way, I'm a military kid. I lived in 13 States before I settled in California. And I think as a marketer, it requires a lot of empathy. And I think that gives me a sort of unique perspective on people and how different people operate. I didn't grow up in a bubble. I grew up with lots of different types of people and that helps me in my day-to-day job. That makes so much sense to me, um, especially because my husband is a Navy brat and he moved all over the world. So he definitely has a different perspective about how people think and culturally the differences. So tell me, when you think about moving around probably every two to three years, when you think about one of the moves that was especially hard, where you really had to um, make adjustments that were a little less anticipated than usual. You're you're already nodding your head. Our listeners can't see it, but I can see you nodding your head. Tell me about that experience. Yeah, I moved from Kansas to California, and we moved every six to eighteen months, so it was really fast. Wow. Uh, and I moved from Kansas to California, and I think the biggest part of that was the diversity of people. Um, I moved to Long Beach, which has the highest concentration of Vietnamese people, or sorry, Cambodian people, a lot of Vietnamese people, but they live just south, um, outside of their home country. And a number of other countries have some of the most people outside their home country in that area. And I didn't know about Cambodia. I didn't know about the Khmer Rouge. I didn't know about a lot of the history and that history impacted my school friends. It was recent history. And uh, there was a lot of learning about people's backgrounds and people's history that had to happen just to relate to my new friends. I can imagine that would be such a huge culture change. I, I remember moving from Los Angeles. I went to elementary school in L.A., to Colorado Springs. So I moved from a very diverse location to a very not diverse, very homogenous location. And um, I remember that that seemed like a culture shock. And then moving from um, 
Washington, D.C., which is where I, I moved right after college and spending five years there and then moving to Montana, again, it's like this huge shift. Do you, um, when you think about that shift into Long Beach and that very diverse crowd, is there another shift that happened in your brain when you went from being in this, uh, in the cor- corporate world, working for someone else to doing your own thing? I know based on your LinkedIn profile that it was a gradual thing. You had the side hustle thing going, which I relate to because I did the same thing. But I do remember a very distinct mindset shift when I went exclusively self-employed. So can you tell me about how maybe that relates to your shifts in um, how you had to adjust into the the new location going to Long Beach? Yeah, um, it's a great question. I was just camping with friends for two weeks and this is something that someone challenged me to think about was identity and I have four friends that all come from the same small town and they all took different routes and they're now in their thirties. And it's interesting to see how their lives are panning out from those routes. Like one person, which is how I met them, went to UCLA with me, became a scientist. Um, One person hustled and has a tech job in San Francisco. One person traveled for 10 years and is now settling down. And then one person stayed in their hometown and is taking over their father's sign business as a third generation artist. And it's interesting to see these because I relate to every single one of their journeys. And I was kind of on sort of in many ways, like on each one. And I think I think we all choose a path or hopefully don't let a chat a path just choose you. And in big cities, uh, people fantasize about smaller, slower lives or not smaller, but slower, right? Like smaller communities, slower lives. So many people here will say they want to live on a farm and I just laugh in their face. Um, because they don't. Uh, but I, I get I get it. I get it. And there's a lot of competition here. Competition makes life expensive. It makes social interactions kind of strange. And I was reflecting on how I can incorporate slowness in my life. And I think that comes from being in places where people are more sane and more kind because they have chosen a life where they're not overwhelmed all the time. And they, uh, you know, you can still choose that busy life anywhere and you can still choose a peaceful life anywhere. But if your environment encourages it and if your community encourages it, uh, that can really help. And so I am choosing in the next couple of months to incorporate slowness instead of sort of just following the environment around me of speed and competition. I. Love that, Mandy. That is so incredibly insightful because we all know how the environment can drive our emotional well-being and the our schedules and how our anxiety rises and falls. And now I understand why Robert Downs introduced us more than before. So Robert Downs, uh, for our listeners, is a phenomenal rock star photographer, literally a rock star photographer in L.A., And I met him years ago at one of my first big keynotes that was in Ontario, which is just outside of Los Angeles. And I kept asking Robert to come visit me in Montana. 
And I'd say, you are just going to love it here. You're going to want to take a ton of pictures. And he would, for five years, I would invite him and he would say, you know, it's not really my thing. I'm not a landscape artist. Like I don't do photography in nature, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, you will be so amazed at how inspired you'll get to take photographs when you get here. Well, it didn't happen for the longest time, five years. And finally, 2020. And even the first part of the shutdown didn't make him want to come here. It was when the riots started in Long Beach that he decided that, okay, maybe Montana would be a good place to spend a little time. And he came out and we had a ball together. I took him floating on the Missouri River. Um, I took him on this ridiculously long and beautiful hike on Mount Helena, right behind my house in, in Helena. And um, one thing he said that was really interesting to me was that what he saw differently in Montana wasn't just you know, where we are in terms of the beauty of our surroundings, but the lifestyle of people being real, being authentic in whatever way that looks for them, which I believe is an ever-changing thing, your identity, your authenticity. But I, one of the things he said was that it's really hard to meet people in LA that have that mentality that they can choose their environment, even if they're living in an environment that is not conducive to that slowing down so now this brings it full circle why he introduced us and oh my gosh i'm i'm so glad for that oh yeah it's uh you find your people i think anywhere and if you if you look for them and if you stay open absolutely so now as you think about your journey and you're thinking about um how you can incorporate slowness into your life um, and that doesn't mean non-hustle. It just means choosing your battles. It means choosing to take the breaks that are going to make you better at what you do, right? Um, what else does that mean in terms of being that kind of presence and resource for your clients? Yeah, great question. I um, One thing that I incorporated last year was always having a lunch break. It's so simple, but... Uh, one day I had already said, you know, I'm the owner. I, I have to hustle. Like that's okay. I can do it. Um, and somebody followed my schedule one day cause they were in, had all the same clients I did that day. And I saw them eating lunch at 3 PM and I hated that. And I realized if you don't do it, they won't do it. Uh, and I recently hired a project manager, also a hustler and she kept scheduling during my lunch. And I was like, hey, I have a conflict at that time. And I, I didn't need to say, we. It, it says in our handbook, like breaks matter to us, lunch matters to us. Um, but it took like about five no's of just like, I will not be showing up during that meeting because unless it's an absolute emergency and people know what those are. Uh, so that's been something I've been incorporating for a long time and now that my company feels great, I have 20 team members, everybody's working really well. We have really, we have clients that we've had for a long time. Uh, and also the pandemic is slowing down a little bit. Uh, I am taking vacations and uh, it's, it's such a classic story, but also Americans are so proud of how many years they haven't taken a vacation. I, I hate this. Like I didn't take a vacation for seven years. I haven't taken a vacation for 13 years. Like that's not, 
something to be proud of. Um, only Americans do that, or we're one of few countries. And um, I, I had a big birthday trip that I had wanted to do for years to Morocco, which I did. I went on this big camping trip, which I had no plans to do, but my team felt great. And I'm five years late going on my honeymoon to Japan for three weeks uh, and still keeping my my company's standard two weeks in the holidays. And that is a ridiculously luxurious amount of time. But I remembered that that's literally why I started this company was to have a job I liked. And that requires time away. And I have worked really hard to get to a company, get my company to a state where they feel great. And uh, I always tell my team, we don't know what the holes are, what holes you're filling until you leave. Um, we can't know what your job is and we can't help you when you're sick, when you're, you have a doctor's appointment, if we don't know entirely what you do. Uh, and that's the same for me. And if I don't learn how to get help with what I'm doing, then I, I will never stop doing it and I'll never grow. And so that has <sighs> been, yeah, that, I mean, that whole sharing responsibilities is a huge value for us, but it takes practice. It takes documentation. It takes handoff and it takes a leaving so that we can practice it. Mm -hmm. I, I'm hearing two important pieces here. One is the first thing you said was, if I don't do it, they won't do it. And this isn't just your team. It, your clients are seeing it. You are being that model for them to say, look, if you have to come to every meeting, it means that you're not delegating enough. And uh, being able to model that for your clients probably at first makes them really uncomfortable because of that mentality of hustle, especially in the LA area, but in general. Um, and the other thing I'm hearing that I really, really appreciate is this focus on being able to make sure people know what you're doing, because what that does is it it reduces that need for control. And so many people in my experience, especially in the public sector, because I, I worked for almost 20 years in the public sector and a lot of my clients are government clients. And what I found is so many people hold so tightly to what they do because it's a control issue. It's a power issue and it's a fear issue. If everybody knows what I do, somebody else can do my job. If everybody knows what I do, I'm expendable. And it's, so the wrong mentality. <laughs> like the more you think about it, the the more you realize how silly that is. But because there's so much fear in the workplace, we've designed our workplace with so much fear. It makes it really hard to let go of that that control. Absolutely. Wow, what did that make you think of? I can I can see again. Uh, you're nodding. Uh, you're like, oh yes, one of my clients. It's a certain uh, client, right? <laughs> Uh, a lot of things are hitting. I think the American quick to fire, quick to quit system is hurtful. Uh, we have a client who's Norwegian and you have to, when you quit, you have three months of offboarding, uh, which means when you hire someone, you have to wait for three months. Um, they inherit your maternity or paternity benefits they inherit, sometimes they'll even inherit your PTO that you've earned in other companies. And so there's this collaborative and 
Um, I even tell my own team, if you're leaving, I can probably help you. It's not, this isn't a, it's, I'm not offended. I'm not hurt. The sooner you tell us, the sooner everybody is better because I can bring in a candidate. We can overlap them. We can make sure we're offboarding. That's kindness. And I now have people that have come back to my company because they had such a great experience doing what they needed to do and want were ready. It made sense for their life to come back to us. And I think that's a huge testament to what we're doing. Uh, and then, you know, I, I took a business program with Goldman Sachs earlier this year, and it was awesome to meet 29 people with in other industries. Uh, and something a lot of us have an issue with is we're at that point where we do need to hand off. And we've established ourselves as that core product. And if you, if your hours are the core product, it's unscalable. And so figuring out handoff, because the people that are working for me are as competent as me and are working with me. Like I'm still working on your project as much as I probably would have in the first place. You're just attached to that FaceTime, which makes sense. I would feel the same way if I got sort of bait and switched or I felt that way. And so uh, this is a path that I'm trying to pursue now where I, I bring in other talent from the very beginning um, for onboarding the client, for onboarding people so that I'm not perceived as the source of information, the source of truth, the source of expertise, and therefore don't disappoint people when I create the boundaries that I need to be the owner and consultant that I want to be. Oh, I love that. And again, you're modeling for the clients what you're doing with your own organization. And I, I see so much value in that. If, if clients can um, take those lessons, watch what you're doing to build your business. And because um, I'll ask you a question in just a second so our uh, listeners really get a feel for what you do um, so that they this puts it all into perspective and brings it full circle. But what I see is because you are so integrated in the core work of your clients and um, the business development of your clients, being that model and that resource can make a huge difference in A, their success in terms of your integration, the work that you do with them, um, and also in their success as an organization as they build and scale and grow because the whole purpose of working with you is to build their business because it's marketing, it's social media, it's all that stuff. So that said, um, as we come full circle, what I would love to hear is for you to tell us what you do without telling us what you do. What that means is telling a story about a client where maybe there was um, a conflict or you understood their problem to be, they understood their problem to be one thing while you understood once you got to the bones of it that their problem wasn't what they thought it was and the solution and, and um, you know, how you ended up feeling really good about your work with that particular client. Yeah. Without telling the, what we do, I will say that our line of work is a marriage so we don't have a beginning and end point. We work with you until you get rid of us. Uh, we start with a minimum of three months and we're average. I, we are five years old and we have clients that are three years old. 
Uh, many of them are because that's really when our work picked up. And one of our clients wasn't getting the reach and wasn't communicating with the people that already interacted with their org. And I'll step back. They just weren't reaching people. And however, they work with massive organizations, the United Nations, the CDC, the FDA, you come from public, you know what you know about this. And Mm -hmm. so we knew that there was huge brand strength with massive organizations, but also that they were 25 years old and their own contacts, their own staff, their own board wasn't interacting. And oftentimes when results aren't happening, I have to remind people that at the end of the day, marketing is a social business. It is a, and it is a one-to-one interaction. We're asking people to change their hearts and minds in some sort of way. We're asking for an action from them. And the way that that used to be done was a salesperson. Uh, That was a person in your face having a conversation with you uh, to to get you to do something. And you might have had pre-discussions about it. You might have had the pre-research and you meet these people. And at the end of the day, that person convinces you. Now it's the same Thing. It's just in a different format. And so I stepped back and thought about the people of this brand. And the people are the people they've worked with, the companies they've interacted with, the organizations they've interacted with, the org, the people that are, are part of the org, that work for the org and are on the board of the org, and asked first, where are they? They care the most about you. They're your first degree connections. They have all of this emotional association with you and we don't see them anywhere. So start there, ask them to be a part of your brand uh, and just ask, like be a person and say, hey, we're trying to do this thing. Can you be a part of it? Because they love you. They want to do that. You just haven't asked. I love that. It's so insightful too. I just started doing that more when I'm um, completing my final session with a coaching client or with a team, and I'll say, look, 90% of my business comes from referrals. If what we did together was meaningful to you, could you make two introductions to people that you think would benefit from working with me? Or would you please write up a testimonial? Or can we, we record a quick, quick video where you talk about our work together? And the first couple of times I did that, I was like, oh, this is so uncomfortable. But then... As soon as I asked, even the very first time that people were like, of course, oh my gosh, we would love to. And so I, I love that you just said that because um, it, it has changed. I, I understand um, I'm, I'm a child of, I was, I'm in my 50s now. And when I think about brand, when I was in business school back mm-hmm. in the late 80s, early 90s, a brand was something that you could demonstrate, that you could define. And now... That's just not the way it is. Your brand is defined by how people perceive you. Mm-hmm. And if your clients and your internal advocates aren't being ambassadors for you, then you've missed out on this huge opportunity for your brand. Absolutely. And uh, for yourself as a brand and for them as a brand, I love that mm-hmm. you ask people immediately because your brand also has seasons of affinity and those you have to know at what times people are going to love you. And that often isn't the time that you're thinking about it. Right. 
right? Like I, we don't work with a lot of product, but if you sell someone a, a, a popular Christmas product, say their joy of you is going to be right after they get the satisfaction of giving that gift to someone, which is not when they ordered it, especially if it's something that you're ordering in advance. Um, you know, I, I use an awesome gift box company based in LA woman owns they're called box Fox. I'm not an affiliate of any kind. I just love them. And if you, anytime someone says like, I know this like really chic, stylish woman, like what can I send her? I tell them box Fox. It's like the coolest LA girlies curating the fresh thing. My mentor sent me something and gave me this like clear pink coffee cup, which is just way cooler than my like target cup. And, um, <laughs> the, the joy I get, I'll, I'll plan a box Fox a year in advance. I send them to clients. I send them to people who have babies. Same thing. I get that text of somebody saying, this is the prettiest thing I've ever received and the coolest stuff I've ever seen. I love that, but that might not come until a week after the birthday, three months after the baby. And so understand when that person's going to have affinity for you and when they're going to have that energy for you, because it's not when you're planning your Christmas campaign three, six months out. Uh, and like, make sure you ride that or, train too. Or, right. Or when you're doing your strategic planning and you realize you need to ask for more testimonials, like that's, it could be way, it could be six months after they've had that interaction with you that drove them to buy something or to love something that you did with them. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Mandy, this has been such a treat. Yay. Oh my gosh. I, I, I have really enjoyed this conversation. Likewise. Just quick, let us know how our listeners can get in touch with you, follow you, learn more about what you do. Yeah. Everyone asks me how I got the Media Mandy username. They're like, how did you get it? Did you buy it? No. I've just been doing this for a while. <laughs> That's all. So I'm Media Mandy everywhere. Um, I have a company that specializes in B2B social sector nonprofit, but we also have some B2C clients. It has a multicultural focus, kind of what we talked about earlier. Uh, so it's Zole, Z-O-L-A-Y studio. It's a nod to my Mexican and French backgrounds. Bosole is a soup. Sole is sun in French. So uh, check us out there. We're trying fun stuff and you can always find me as Media Mandy. Awesome. And for our listeners, you don't have to pause this. You don't have to run and grab a pen or try to type it into your phone. All of this information, the links will be in the show notes associated with this podcast at elkinsconsulting.com. Mandy, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Listeners, it's your turn. When you think about the work you do, whether you work as an internal innovator or as an entrepreneur, maybe you have a side hustle. What will you do with the information you just heard? Will you learn to take those breaks? Will you choose to be that person that models the behavior that you want to see in the people around you? Will you bring your best self by choosing to be that model and live the way that you know is going to benefit your, you and everyone around you. Thanks for listening. Your stories don't define you, how you tell them well. Smile, what's the use of crying? You'll find that life is still worthwhile.
you just smile.